Welcome to the Jongets Games Podcast. In this episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a recent Good Games vlog where I discussed my initial impressions on Dominant Species Marine, Dual Gauge, and Startups. Now, if you are only interested in listening to part of this podcast, then check out the description for timestamps for each of these games. At this point, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. If you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this, then I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the campaign, and you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games. The final thing I'll ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you please leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. Alright, let's now start talking about games, and the first of these is Dominant Species Marine. Now, this is a sequel to Dominant Species, which came out about 10 years ago, and they have a lot of similar mechanics, with some somewhat uh, significant changes between them as well. So it's definitely not a new addition, it is its own thing. Um, now, I do want to mention right at the start that unfortunately this is the final game designed by Chad Jensen, because he did pass away before it was fully published, and um, he designed the original game, which is a beloved game. In fact, I love Loved this game when it first came out. I was so excited about it that um, I, I'm pretty sure I supported the P500 campaign for it, which is kind of like Kickstarter, but not really, where you can pre-order a game before it's actually produced, and once enough people pre-order it, it then gets made. Now, the original game played up to six players, and it put each person in the role of a subgenre of animals. It could be uh, insects, uh, you could also be arachnids, you could be mammals, and that kind of thing, and you played an area-majority game with a worker placement system that required players to really think ahead. You place down your workers onto this large uh, uh, list of options, and you don't do anything when you place those workers down. Once all of the workers are placed, you then start at the top and work your way down, so you effectively program everything that you want to do, and then they happen in a specific order. Now, I mention that now because in order to talk about Dominant Species Marine, that is the biggest thing that changed between these two games. Thematically, it's now more uh, water-based, obviously, with the title. Uh, you are in charge of the reptiles or the cephalopods or that kind of thing, and you are still doing um, area-majority type stuff out on the world on the board, and you do also have worker placement, but now when you place your workers, you immediately perform that action. Again, in the original game, you placed your workers out and didn't do anything until they were all down, but now in Marine, you do those actions immediately. Now, what this means is, Marine does not have the same cycle that the other game had. In the original game, you were placing, and then you were performing, and then you'd pull everything back and place again. Whereas in Marine, you are either placing, or you can pull all of your workers back in front of you to reset in order to have those workers to place them out again. Now, there is a great uh, restriction that kind of goes with the flow of the original game to a certain extent, where when you place workers out in Marine, they have to be placed after any previously placed workers that you have put down. The reason for that is because in Marine, as well as the original game, a lot of the more powerful actions were down near the bottom, and in this one, that means if you don't have any workers out and you immediately place your worker down near the bottom to perform a powerful action, you can't actually place on anything above that worker, so you really restrict what you can do. You could, of course, start at the top and perform some of those very important and still powerful actions uh, in order to leave you flexible to do everything else, but a lot of the really impactful things like scoring areas and moving your various uh, um, species around on the board all happen in the middle or bottom sections of that action board. So. When you're playing this game, it does have a similar feel, but you don't have to worry about planning everything out. It was really easy in the original game to mess up all of your pre-programming, essentially, uh, have things not quite work out, or um, have a plan and then have your opponents 
lock your positions so you can no longer execute it. Whereas in Marine, your plan is constantly happening as you're actually placing these things down. Um, so right off the bat, there is a lot less analysis paralysis in Marine. There's still a whole lot to think about, uh, don't get me wrong, but you don't also have to think about the future, uh, specifically your future worker placements to make sure that previous worker placements get to do anything for you. Now, uh, I'm trying not to go into the details of this game because there's quite a bit going on, but to stay high level, you have a uh, map in front of you and it's going to grow as the game goes on. A certain worker placement spot lets you actually place new tiles out. And as you are going through the game, you are adding species, which are these cubes. And what you want to do is have the most of your cubes on specific tiles at the right time. And by the right time, I mean when somebody, probably you, goes onto the worker placement spot to score for that tile. Um, you're probably only going to do that if you are in the lead, and depending on what type of tile it is, you will get to um, get more victory points, and points are obviously good. But in addition to that, the really great thing about this game, uh, this one and the original, comes into play with the cards that are randomly uh, shoveled up in a deck and placed out on the board. Now, in Marine, when you do this scoring action, as long as you have a cube out there that's not uh, endangered, you actually can perform one of these cards, which have a really wide variety of effects. That means this game can be somewhat swingy, and the original one could be as well, where you could place a worker down to score a tile, get these points, then activate a card that does something huge, like crash an asteroid down onto the planet. That happens every game. That's actually the end game trigger. Um, or various other things like dump a bunch of cubes on the board or wipe a bunch of other cubes off, move a bunch of things around. There's just a lot of variety with the effects from those cards, and you have got to be paying attention to those. Um, if you ignore them, then your entire game plan can be totally wiped out, and um, that does bring in a decent amount of analysis paralysis back. Uh, now, I've played this one once. It was about a week ago, and it was a three-player game. Uh, the uh, Marine version of the game, the sequel, only plays up to four players, which is obviously less than the six players of the original. Um, I have played six-player games of the original, and it was fun, but it took like five or six hours. Uh, now, when it comes to Marine, my one three-player game of this did take essentially three hours, although there's a bit of an asterisk there in the fact that the game end trigger is a little bit variable. Uh, you have this asteroid card that I mentioned before, and as soon as that is performed, then the game will end after that round, and you shuffle that into the bottom five cards of the deck. In this play, it was the second to last card, and based off of how things went, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, if it had been like the first or second card instead of the second to last or last card, this game would likely have been 30 to 40 minutes uh, uh, faster. And that's because of the way the overall rounds work, which I'm trying not to go into the specifics of. So this game uh, easily could have actually been closer to two hours instead of three. Uh, but just like a lot of these kind of games, the, the end of the game got pretty slow because there's so much to think about. Because when the game is over, you actually score every single tile out there for uh, majorities. Uh, that means there is a ton of uh, back and forth that you're doing, a ton of calculation that you're trying to do to make sure you are in a good spot, and also a lot of swings in that case, because a single cube being removed from a certain spot could have uh, pretty big impacts. Now, this one is a tough one to talk about in a vlog form because there's so much going on, and you know, there's a temptation to just focus on the differences between this and the old game, which a lot of people obviously haven't played. Uh, but with that being said, there's one other comparison that I want to make between these two games before I move on. Uh, now, that has to do with speciation, which is how you put cubes down onto the map. Now, in the old game, you effectively put more cubes down onto the tiles that got you more victory points, which meant there could be a really big pile-up effect on those tiles. Whereas in the new game, it's actually 
inverted. So what that means is the tiles that give you the most victory points, you place the least amount of cubes down onto. So that means you essentially are motivated to place a ton of cubes down onto the tiles that don't give you very many points. And then you want to migrate away from those tiles onto the other tiles that give you more uh, victory points. So it felt a lot more fluid and um, all of us really liked that change. Uh, in this three player game, all three of us have played the game many times. So um, there was obviously a lot of discussions about the differences between these two games. And I will say that all of us ended this game saying, we really do prefer this uh, version, this Marine version of the game. Um, the biggest reason is the change to the worker placement, um, not having to pre-program everything out. Um, that really did help. I mean, obviously the game was still long, um, we were had a lot of things to think about, but it could have gone shorter, and we were also just enjoying ourselves, really just kind of considering everything. Uh, there's also a lot going on in this game, and we played it in Tabletop Simulator. We are quite competent with Tabletop Simulator these days, but I do still think that can add time, especially considering um, the details of all of the cards that you're trying to pay attention to. There's just a lot of things to keep on your mind. Um, now, I don't actually remember how the scores worked out. I know I didn't win this one, um, and I'll be honest, there are some significant mechanics that I have skipped over uh, but I just don't want to go into all of those specifics. I really wanted to come around to the position where I say that, uh, A, I'm really glad that I own this game, and uh, B, I, I, I could see myself playing the original game in, again in the future, but I, I really do think I would be gravitating towards this one. Um, it is worth noting that we played a standard game, and you can very easily change the overall length of the game by removing cards from that deck, and that's um, a fully supported variant in the rules. You can play a shorter game by removing some cards, you can play a longer game by removing less, and you can play an epic game by keeping all of the cards in there. Uh, now, as far as I'm concerned, I feel like in the future, I am going to be more interested in playing the short game where I remove some of the cards. In my discussion with my opponents at the end of the game, both of them kind of disagreed with me. I think they liked how things got near the end of the game, but to me, I still felt like the game could have been an hour shorter and several or many turns shorter, and I still would have really enjoyed it, and I still would have felt like I had a good arc going across the game. So um, that's probably something I'll push for a little bit more depending on the, uh, the amount of time that we have to play, but I certainly wouldn't say no to playing a standard game. I think it's unlikely that I'm going to play a long game Part of that is because you have a, uh, a defined number of these species cubes that you could place out, and in general, once they die, you don't get access to them again. And in this game, which was a standard version of the game, um, I ran out. Uh, in fact, I think pretty much all of us ran out. Um, there are some ways to get them back, but you have to be maybe not lucky, but you have to be in the right position to actually make use of those ways and you cannot count on them. So if the game goes even longer, you're going to have to be even more careful with your cubes as you put them out. And perhaps that makes the game more strategic, but I do worry that if I played the long version of the game, I might uh, just find myself in many of the last turns with not much to do because I overspent my cubes. Obviously that would be my problem, but it also comes back around to me being slightly more interested in playing this one with the short version. Uh, but I do also want to say that I'm very interested in playing this one more in the future. Um, it is a chaotic game, for sure. I don't want to sell this as grand strategy. There's, there's definitely strategic things that you need to keep in mind, but the tactics are very much there, and the swings are super powerful. Um, this game feels like you are just slugging each other in the face over and over again. Uh, you might get 
pummeled by uh, a specific move that just wipes out a bunch of your work. But hopefully a few rounds later, you can pummel back with another massive swingy turn. And these usually come in the form of those cards. Fortunately, you can see those coming for the most part. Sometimes a new card will come out that totally changes everything and somebody can capitalize on that soon, but it's a little bit hard to do. And again, I'm trying not to go into the specifics of it. So this is a game that is certainly fun, but also you have to go into it expecting it to be crazy. Uh, you have to go into it knowing that you are going to have some massive downfalls with your plans, and you have to know that you will probably have opportunities to swing back really hard as well, and you hope to be on the top of the pile once all of the swinging has stopped. Uh, so yeah, I think I should probably wrap this one up uh, by saying that um, I am looking forward to playing this one more in the future. I would totally play it at four players. Um, I think that would be even more fun, honestly, with the uh, more congestion out there, but I would be actively interested in playing that one with the short mode instead of the standard. Um, three players worked fine, and two is probably fine as well, although in general I played three to four player games. And um, I am actually going to be making a tutorial video for this one, which should be going out hopefully within a week or two. So um, if this sounds intriguing, then keep your eyes out for that, where I'll talk about a whole bunch of other things, uh, mechanics I didn't talk about here, like the various um, thermal vents that show up, and uh, the special worker placement pawns, and the domination. I didn't talk about any of that stuff, but uh, either way, I think I should still probably wrap this up. It's now time for game number two, and that one is Dual Gauge. Now, if you've been paying attention to my impressions vlogs for the last couple months, you will know that I have been falling in love with Cube Rails style games, and Dual Gauge has been right at the top of my wanting to play list for honestly about two months now, uh, but I was finally able to get it uh, played last night. Um, now, saying that I played Dual Gauge is actually not good enough because Dual Gauge itself is more of a gaming system than a specific game. Uh, this game system came out a few months ago, and in the box there are two different maps. There is Portugal and there is Detroit, and I played a game of Dual Gauge with the Detroit map. The reason it is important for me to specify this is because this system is quite flexible, and each of these maps brings in their own tweaks and mechanics to be a significantly different gaming experience from one map to the next. It's not just a new coat of paint, it's essentially a different game with a overarching uh, a similar set of rules. Now this system was designed by Amabel Holland and published by Hollandspiel, and um, they have announced that there are going to be more expansion maps that will be coming out in the future, uh, potentially for a long time if the game does well. Uh, now, I said that I played the Detroit map, which was a little bit risky because the rules actually recommend that you play with the Portugal map first and then play Detroit later. Uh, in this case, I actually played a four-player game of it. You could play up to five players, and um, everyone I played with had played the game many times, and they were more interested in playing Detroit than Portugal, so I said, you know what? I'll uh, jump into the deep end right out of the gate and uh, see how I go. Uh, spoiler alert, I did very poorly. <laughs> like, the person who won had double the points that I had or double the money. And I was not even close to uh, the third place player, but I also had a great time. So, <laughs> you know, that's uh, certainly something to keep in mind. Uh, now, at a very high level, the way this system works uh, is actually quite different uh, from most other Cube Rails style games. And the reason for that is because there are no cubes or even anything remotely like cubes. In most Cube Rails games, you are putting down cubes or fancy little train tokens to build routes out onto the board, and those routes are associated with the color of those tokens. In Dual Gauge, that is not the case, because instead, you are building out track that 
any company can use. So this track is um, uh, universal, essentially, but there are two different types because the game is called Dual Gauge. You have Narrow and you have Standard, and the types of trains that you can run on these tracks will have to match up with the types of tracks. Now, Standard Gauge is a lot more expensive, but it's also more efficient. You can go farther with less trains, um, so you have to balance that with the Narrow Gauge, which is cheaper, but also less efficient. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of the specifics here, but as a, a general arc of the game, you start by auctioning off initial shares in these companies, and then as you play through the game, you're going to do a single um, stock round where you can buy up to one stock, which are discs associated with that company, and then each of the companies will run operation, and the person who has the most stock in those companies gets to control them. Uh, they can lay track out. In fact, you really want to, otherwise things go poorly for you. You can place new stations out, which is good and bad. Uh, you can also buy trains and then actually run those trains by using them to essentially draw a path through the various tracks that you or maybe other um, uh, players slash companies have actually built out onto the map to connect these cities together. And then you get a payout uh, depending on the size of those cities and the number that you hit. You then either pay out that uh, money that you got to the shareholders, which means um, each person who has shares in the company that just ran will get a certain amount based off of the number of shares they have, or you can withhold it, which means that money stays in the company, but the stock price is going to go down. Now, um, after that, the stock price will go up depending on the number of these discs that were removed. And I know I'm going into the nitty gritty here, but that is really important because each of these discs could be a stock, again, if you buy it and put it in front of you, or it could be a station that's placed out onto the map. These stations are very costly. They, uh, depending on the map, can really uh, hit the stock price for that company, but they also um, unlock various options for them and also can block out other companies. And I'm trying not to go into the specifics, but again, at the end of the operating round, those companies will increase their stock price by the amount of these tokens that are removed. So putting stations out also increases the rate at which the stock price goes up, which is a good thing if you have those shares. Um, now, I did say that I played the Detroit map instead of Portugal, and on the Detroit map, there is a mechanic that does not exist on the Portugal map at all. It's called debt, and um, you can or are forced into uh, buying these debt tokens and putting them onto a company, which is going to be worth negative stock value at the end of the game, but put some money directly into that company so that it can build track. And spoiler alert, if you don't build track, the company is forced to withhold, and that is going to do bad things to the stock value. Uh, I've already gone into way too many details here, so I'm not even going to talk about the uh, way you actually buy trains. But essentially, this is yet another experience where you have shared incentives, which is um, you know a thing that you see in um, games with stocks, essentially. Um, there might not be cubes out here, but this game took one hour to play, and that is a big part of cube rails, at least as a general over arc. I'm not sure the exact definition of cube rails, but in general, they're train games with stocks and various companies that usually take between 60 and 90 minutes to play, uh, sometimes even half an hour. So I was very pleased to see that a four-player game of dual gauge um, only took 60 minutes, so it was a very brisk experience. Uh, in this specific play, uh, it was almost a single gauge game. <laughs> I built some standard uh, track right at the beginning, which is very expensive, and then for the rest of the game, only the um, narrow track was built out there, uh, which was a little bit interesting, and I think that is just part of the Detroit map. The rules specifically say not to play the Detroit map the first time you play, uh, but again, I was the only new person to that setting, but I think part of that is because track is really expensive, so you have to take these debt tokens to be able to afford the standard gauge, and the debt tokens can be very punitive, so it's hard to balance the uh, benefits of laying the uh, better track compared to those debt tokens, and in this play, we just kind of all 
mostly leaned on the um, other kind of track, <laughs> the cheaper track to get our way through the game. Uh, now, one really important uh, facet to the system is the fact that each one of the train companies has a unique aspect to it, which is again going to be different from one game to the next. On the Portugal map, one of the companies just starts with um, the, the person who's the president gets a bonus share, which means they start with two shares instead of one, which is great. And on the Detroit map, there are um, companies that give uh, big uh, payouts if you get to a certain spot. The company that I ran, which was the blue company, um, could put a free station onto the board if it connected two different spots. And that was essentially my goal for the whole game. And I pulled it off although I didn't do very well. <laughs> I don't think I figured out how to leverage that uh, in order to actually win, but but that's fine. Uh, but it was very interesting trying to leverage the asymmetries of these various uh, companies, as well as their asymmetric starting locations. Uh, some of these companies are just worse than others, and part of this game system is figuring that out and figuring out how to still squeeze some money out of these uh, these companies. Um, now, I did mention that there's going to be more expansions coming out in the future, and I am very interested, honestly, in playing the new expansions, uh, expansion maps, as well as the Portugal map. Uh, honestly, I'd be totally fine playing the Detroit map again. I'm curious to see what another play of it would be like. But um, overall, I think this is a, a really elegant system, and I'm super curious to see where things are going to go in the future. I know on the Portugal map, it's super punishing to play stations to the the point where people essentially don't. Whereas on the Detroit map that we played, there were several stations that were put out. Although I think I probably put out one too many, and that might be part of the reason why I did so poorly. Um, circling back on cube rails in general and why I'm enjoying them so much, this game only took 60 minutes, so I came dead last, but that was fine because I wasn't dead last forever. Also, I couldn't tell how dead last I was going to be until the very late stages of the game where I was like, you know what, that blue company that I have three stocks in, it's just not going to get competitive, and that was unfortunate, but it was a 60-minute game for uh, four players. So I'm looking forward to playing more 60-minute games of this in the future. Uh, I do want to teach this one to some of my friends who are um, just as new to Cube Rails as I am. Uh, I think it would be an interesting experience playing this, and I would definitely play the Portugal map um, with people who um, are not super experienced with all of these Cube Rails games. Uh, I'm currently falling down to the rabbit hole of these types of games, and I'm bringing some of my friends along with me to a certain extent, uh, but there are lots of people who have been playing these for years and years and years, and I think that really can affect um, your approach to a lot of the uh, gaming experiences for these. Um, now, I've actually purchased Dual Gauge already. Um, as I said before, this is published by Hollenspiel, and they actually do print-on-demand for their games, which is pretty interesting. Um, that means when you buy the game, they make the game. So it's effectively never out of print, although sometimes it goes out of stock when they run out of certain components. Um, about a week ago, I put in an order for this one before I'd even played it. So I had high expectations going in because I'd already bought it. And uh, maybe part of the reason I enjoyed it is because I've already put money down to play it. But I really don't think that's the case. I think this is a really cool system and it just it's a wonderful playground for more of these experiences. I know that um, with the new expansion maps, I think one of them is supposed to be incredibly restrictive, and I think another one is supposed to be the opposite, just abundant, massive runs all over the place. And uh, I love the idea of being able to try out each of these experiences so that you're not just playing Dual Gauge, you're playing Dual Gauge Detroit or Dual Gauge Portugal or Dual Gauge Wisconsin. I think that's one of the uh, expansion maps. And, um, and realistically, these are all going to be different. Uh, from the discussion I had at the end of this game, 
game with the Detroit uh, uh, play, um, people already um, were talking about, you know, maps that they like, maps that they didn't like, um, in the same way they talked about games that they like and games that they don't like. Uh, so I'm excited for the system. It's very new. I'm excited to get a copy of this one, and I'm really looking forward to playing this one more, especially teaching it to some uh, more of my friends. Um, I hope they're not getting too sick of me forcing all of these Cube Rails titles on them. Uh, for the most part, I don't think that's the case yet anyway. At this point, it's time for the final game I'll be talking about today, and that one is Startups. Now, this one was published by Oink Games, and all of their games come in very tiny, usually brightly colored boxes with as few components as possible to get usually a pretty big gaming experience. Now, in Startups, there is a deck of cards, and on those cards, there are, I believe six different companies. Um, each card has a number in the top right corner, and that number matches the number of that card that are in the deck. That means there are nine of the value nine cards in the deck and six of the value six cards in that deck. Now you shuffle that up, and then each player starts the game with a bunch of these tokens that have a one on one side and a three on the other. And the way the game plays is on your turn, you have to draw a card and then play a card. Uh, when you draw a card, you can either take from the top of the deck or you can take from a discarded card that is face up on the table. And this is where those little number tokens in front of you come into play. If there are two cards out there on the table and I want to draw from the top of the deck, I have to place two of these tokens out, one onto each card that is currently face up as a discard. Now, if you take a card that is on the discard area, you get those tokens on them. So you have an incentivization mechanic here, which I love in games. Um, if you take a discard card that is not the last one, then you also have to place these tokens down onto each other card that you have skipped over, depending on the order in which you place these cards down. Now, the next thing that you do after drawing one card is you play a card. You either put it face up in front of you or you discard it, adding it to the end of that discard in the middle of the table. Now, when you put it in front of you, it will stay there for the rest of the game. And this is where the game gets very tricky because you play until the entire deck is gone. Um, you always remove five random cards, so you can't exactly count everything. But once that deck is gone, players are going to score for the cards that are in front of them. Now, the way this works is for each of the card types in the game, there will be a president, and that player is the one who has the most of that card in front of them. So let's say I had uh, four of the value six cards in front of me, and uh, one of my opponents has two of those cards. Well, I am the president because I have more than anybody else, and then what happens is I am going to take a number of those one tokens from them equal to the number of that type of card they have in front of them. I have four, they have two, which means I take from them two of those tokens that have ones on them, and then I flip them over to the three side. What that means is my opponent just lost two points and I gained six victory points because I am the president in this company that they also had some cards placed in front of them. What that also means is if you are the president of a company and you are the only player who put cards down of that type, then you don't steal points from anybody and you don't really get any points at all <laughs> for doing that. You don't lose points, so I guess that is good. But this game is really all about um, being the president of a company, aka having the most cards, uh, for companies that your opponents have also committed cards out to. Now, your opponents are only going to place those cards down if they think they have a shot to try and be a president of those companies. So this is... <laughs> kind of a stock game, but it's really strange because you are pretty reticent to commit this card uh, being put down. Now, of course, in this game, you draw a card and then you must 
play a card from your hand, and the thing is, you will have a three-card hand. When you draw that card, it'll go up to four, and then you have to play one of them out. So it's not like you can hoard a bunch of these cards. And this means if you want, you can just draw and discard, draw and discard um, for the entire game if you want to, and never play a card out in front of you, but you're probably not going to win. So you definitely have to play the odds to a certain degree, trying to maybe hide the fact that you have a couple cards of a certain type in your hand to lure your opponents to playing some of those because they think they can vie for it, and then be like, haha, no, I'm going to play this out and take the presidency. Uh, now, one last mechanic is the fact that if you are currently the president of one of these types, which means you have the most of those cards, you cannot draw those cards from the discard pile. So that is also a strange thing, where if I am the current president of the sixes and an opponent discards a six, I can't take that six. I can only get more sixes by drawing randomly off of the top, and more often than not, when you draw randomly off the top, you have to lose points by putting those one tokens out onto cards that are out there in the discard pile. Now, I played a three-player game of this, and it plays up to seven. And <laughs> what do I even say about this game? Um, I enjoyed it. I had fun overall. Um, the decisions were very peculiar. Um, I was able to uh, snipe a, a big presidency at the end of the game. It was with the nines, and I had a couple of them hidden in my hand, and an opponent didn't realize that, and they decided to go for it. Uh, they played four of those out while I had two face up in front of me and two in my hand. And what I did was I just waited, hoping to draw the last of those uh, nines. It's possible that nine could have been discarded at the beginning of the game, in which case I could have maybe played my last two out, I would have equaled my opponent, and no one would have gotten the bonuses, which would have, I guess, been best for the other person who wasn't part of that contest, but I was lucky enough to actually draw the last nine, and then I played those out, so I had five to their four, which means I stole four of their points and turned those into 12 victory points of my own. Uh, when the dust settled, um, I won on the tiebreaker with a score of 22, um, and I don't necessarily feel like I played the game better, but I'm also kind of curious if there's a way to even play this game well. <laughs> uh, maybe there is. I've only played it once, uh, but my opponents who I played with have uh, played it many times, um, and they were totally down to play it. They enjoyed it, but they also vocalized that um, to them, they're also not super sure how you play this game well. There is a lot of swinginess. There's obviously randomness about which cards are not going to be in the deck and which cards you randomly draw from the top of the deck. So you are uh, certainly making decisions. The decisions are very important, but sometimes the result of those decisions can be a little bit opaque, but the game took like 25 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes to play. It was very quick. So as far as a gaming experience, I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, really interesting trying to balance committing to these presidencies, which also locked you out from taking those cards. I also leaned into the fact that I could discard cards that other presidents really wanted because they couldn't take that to bolster up their position. But of course, if those just sit out there, they're going to collect more and more of these points until somebody takes it. But just because you draw it doesn't mean you have to play it. So there's all of these competing factors going on in the game. And um, I think I would totally play this one again in the future, but I would look at it as a, a incredibly tactical uh, filler type experience. <laughs> I think it's probably likely that you can get better at this game, but I also think the best startups player in the world is probably going to lose this game a fair number of the times they play it. And that's fine, as long as you go into it with that mentality to try and ride the ups and downs as you're trying to do the best you can. Uh, I did play this three players. That's the minimum player count. It plays three to seven. And I am curious to see what a higher player count game would be like. I imagine seven players would be just total insanity, uh, but I'd try it. <laughs> Again, it would be a quick game overall. Um, you would have even less um, agency, I suppose. But, you know, if the game is quick enough, then I would certainly give it a shot to see what that experience would be like. Uh, so this is not a glowing recommendation for startups, but I did enjoy the experience. I thought the mechanics were fascinating, and I would not 
not turn down playing this one again in the future, although I don't think at this point I'm going to go out and get a copy of it for myself. Well, at this point, I have no other games I want to talk about that I played recently that I enjoyed. Um, I've just continued to plow through a whole bunch of these Cube Rails games, and I still have like eight that I want to try, so I'm certainly going to be talking about more of them in future Good Games vlogs. Uh, but there's other stuff that I also want to try that's coming in. Um, I was able to get a copy of uh, Polynesia um, that does not currently have a tabletop simulator mod, but I might make a private one so that I could play that one with my friends. I did buy that copy uh, because it looked neat. Uh, Hopefully I'll like it, and hopefully I'll talk about it soon. We'll, we'll just have to see. <laughs> but either way, I think that is going to bring this episode to a close. Thanks for listening.